0: welcome to the sales lead dog podcast hosted by crm technology and sales process expert christopher smith talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and crm technology and remember unless you are the lead dog the view never changes welcome to
1: sales lead dog today i have joining me greg coonley of Centerfield Media. Greg, welcome to Sales Lead Dog.
2: Thanks for having me, Chris. great to meet you.
1: Yeah, it's great to meet you as well. It's one of the best things about this job, doing the podcast. I get to meet people from all over the country. Otherwise, I would never meet. So I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Greg, tell me about your current role in Centerfield Media.
2: Sure, so I'm the Vice President of Sales uh, for the Business Services Division of Centerfield Media. Uh, I actually come from an acquisition by Centerfield Media just about 15 months ago, um, where Centerfield purchased uh, Business.com, uh, BusinessNewsDaily.com, and BuyerZone uh, to bolster their efforts, both from an SEO perspective and uh, just from an overall reach perspective on the B2B side. Uh, so I've really been working on those domains for about six and a half years now, um, Business.com and Business news daily. Both of those sites are geared uh, towards small businesses and decision-makers and owners who are looking to make purchasing decisions, um, either you know, to help start or, or grow. Uh, so that could be anything from accounting to payroll, uh, business phone systems. We even have categories for uh, maybe less common uh, types of um, of things like forklifts and skid steer loaders. <laughs> um, but essentially, you know, our, our core focus is that, that B2B market um, and our content is, is organized through articles, um, but really category reviews and rankings. So we rank very well organically for key terms like accounting reviews or, or payroll reviews, um, even brand specific terms. And when uh, business owners or decision makers Google uh, something that they need for their business, oftentimes will will show up on page one. Um, From there, you know, the users take into content that helps them make that decision, what to look for. Um, Again, in the example of an accounting software, um, is there, you know, a a specific uh, vendor that is going to work well for their industry, be it a restaurant or retail, um, construction and so forth. And then we have a, a ton of other ancillary content as well um, that speaks to small business at large, um, you know what's changing with the pandemic, um, trends for 2022, uh, shopping guides, things like that. So um, really kind of a one-stop shop for those business owners to understand what their options are and how they can uh, leverage software and services to help grow their, uh, the, their bottom line.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And such, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, um, long-term entrepreneur, that that's, uh, um, it's such a different world from when I started doing this in my early 20s, where the best you could do is go to a bookstore and buy a book and hope it helped you. Now there's such a wealth of information out on the internet. It's, it's, frankly, it's overwhelming. And uh, so to have resources like that, it's just, it's huge. It's such a huge benefit.
2: Yeah, it really is. We've got a full editorial team um, with several members of that team who have been working on their specific categories for a decade plus. Um, I think of Chad Brooks on our team has been doing business phones for 15, maybe 20 years now. Um, so we've seen the evolution of, you know, the business phone hardware to now unified communications and video, um, all of the different brands that have come and gone or rebranded or acquired each other. So Um, You know, there really has been an evolution for small businesses in general, but um, specific to the products and services that they they need. It's a it's an ever evolving space.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. So, Greg, let's start talking about you now. Um, Sure. You've had a pretty good career. What are the three things that have really contributed to the success you've achieved in your career?
2: Yeah, I think number one would be um, in internal relationships. It's probably, you know, if, if, if that's one, then the others are, are far down the list. Um, I would say the ability to work cross-functionally with different teams within organizations um, before bringing product to market. Forget about the conversations you're having with prospects or current clients. If you don't have, um, you know, the team dynamic set up, to where um, things that you're you're looking for, or the support you need, or the support you need to give, uh, is there, you know, then then really it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to achieve your goals. You're not going to put forth um, a great product to sell, and, and create long lasting relationships. Um, so I, I always pride myself on on my ability to have strong communication with those groups internally, um, and make sure you know that goes even beyond the functional roles that, that we all serve and, and, and play in our day to day. So, um, you know, connecting people, uh, to people on a, on a personal basis, you know, making sure that, uh, every conversation starts off with a, with a good morning or happy Friday, um, you know, and, and just having that spill over into our, um, our work life and our, and our ability to kind of collaborate and succeed. So that that's, that's by far number one.
1: What's number two?
2: yeah uh, number two I would say and this is this is a struggle for me um, but I think as any sales person or sales leader um, it needs to find as, as a certain level of organization uh, to plan your day we have you know especially in, in, in my role in my org now um, we've got thousands of customers and as much as you want to give that white glove service and treatment to, to everybody um, the reality is you know th- there's that, that 80-20 rule, right, where your, your core clients are going to make up um, a large percentage of your business and a large, large percentage of your growth opportunity, and just understanding which emails and which tasks can be you know, maybe put on hold for a little while so that uh, the more pressing and important um, things that need to be done can get done. And just structuring uh, your day as much as you can in a way that, that you can balance those things. I mean, I think we all deal with um, the curveballs, the fire drills that, that show up uh, throughout the course of a day or a week that, that you, of course, have to account for. But going into each day with a plan and understanding who am I speaking with? When are my meetings? You know, have I done all of my prep work? Um, am I ready to go and have a conversation for maybe only 20 or 30 minutes? Uh, with somebody that I might only get one shot at. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I if I don't have that prep work and that organization done ahead of time, then, then that's unlikely to be a fruitful conversation.
1: Yeah. What's number three?
2: Yeah, I would say that number three is just making sure at the end of the day, um, everything that needs to be wrapped up is wrapped up. I think it sort of goes hand in hand with number two. But if you're starting a day where you haven't closed your, previous day properly, uh, you're probably spending the first 30, 60 minutes of that day just tying up loose ends and, and trying to get your bearings. Uh, again, because we have such a, a breadth of, of, of clients um, in our, our book of business, you know there could be several outstanding things that if not tied up on are going to take away the focus from um, the next morning's activities that, that may be more important or that may require full 100% attention. And so, leaving the, the laptop or, or leaving the office, um, home office with a sense that uh, those things are, are tied up for the day and that I'm um, starting tomorrow with the ability to focus on um, where the, the focus needs to be for for those conversations or, you know, those meetings that are planned um, is certainly integral to, to anybody's success. I,
1: I tell you, I'm listening to you thinking like, oh man, it's so true that if you don't get those key things done by the end of the day, you've, your next day is already, I don't want to say sabotage, but you're starting off in a, in, in a hard way um, with that for, stuff hanging
2: over you. For sure. And I, and I go back to coaching. I coached a little bit of high school basketball um, in my time in Boston, too. And, you know, you want to end a practice, you want to end a game, um, either with a conversation or with a, a drill or with, you know, a, a point to be made that will carry over. And keep the momentum going. So if you're down by 20 or up by 20 at the end of that game, you want to make sure that the last minute you have two good possessions or yeah. you know you're ending on a high note. Um, and it's no different in sales. I think if you're you're 80% of the way through something and, and you don't get that other 20% done, um you're never going to have the success that you're looking for that next day. And in that team dynamic same way. You know you're not going to be able to start that that new practice um, or the preparation for the next game um, if you haven't fully moved on from from the previous.
1: Yeah. I love hearing how people got their start in sales because the answers have always been so varied. How'd you get your start?
2: Yeah. So I graduated in 2009 um, at the height of the recession and I took a job um, with Northwestern Mutual uh, selling life insurance and uh, and investments. And I would say that bar none in best sales training a person could possibly have, the best I've ever seen from um, a six-week intensive, uh, everything from overcoming objections to phone language to um, you know different closing techniques, just very, very thorough. The problem with that start was that I was 22 years old and I was living at home, and I didn't have necessarily the conviction I needed to sit down at somebody's kitchen table and explain to them or tell them that, these are the financial solutions that you should be uh, thinking about or that you should be buying. When I was living at home, you know, upstairs in my parents' house uh, with no bills and <laughs> no real life experience. Yeah. Um, and so I had all this great sales training, but I didn't have that conviction, right? I, I didn't have that feeling that I was providing value because everybody I was speaking with had already been through those life experiences that. I, experiences that i did not have so they they had bought and sold houses they had you know married had kids had different financial considerations um had spoken with different financial advisors in the past and so i didn't feel within my heart that i was providing value uh, in those conversations and so probably seven or eight months into that career um i decided that sales really wasn't for me and and chose to go in a different direction and so I got back into it, I I moved uh, to Boston uh, where there's a little bit more job opportunity. And I I started in operations for um, a marketing company, uh, really a publishing company, but in marketing uh, for TechTarget. And I did reporting and some client outreach um, and sort of grew my career through that marketing and operations side of the business where then took another job at monster.com. And it was really a monster that I sort of got that sales bug again. so I was invited on several key client meetings. Our sales reps felt that having another voice in the room that wasn't on the sales side was uh, really important, which to this day I think is is massive. Um, but in these meetings, people would start turning to me after maybe five or ten minutes. You know, the salesperson would give their perfectly polished polished pitch with a great sales deck. But people wanted to know the numbers, they wanted to know the data, they wanted to know the quantitative analysis and you know, what was really going on with our campaigns. And, and this is really at the height of um, when everything became trackable digitally, right? So what are my clicks doing? My, are my impressions turning into clicks? And are they turning into leads and sales down funnel? What can we be doing differently with our landing page? And you know, all of those different elements and variables um, and so, you know, I felt like I, I left those meetings thinking I did a lot of the the speaking. I did, you know, the majority of the uh, the legwork there, and yet I'm, uh, you know, not reaping the the salary and, and commission benefits that, that my counterparts are. So, why yeah. why not take another ch- uh, stab at this and and move over to the sales side and uh, as part of a restructuring reorg. The, uh, the monster team created kind of the hunter and farmer model um, where I moved right into that farmer role, kind of doing similar things, but also working on upsells and renewals. And then that kind of led to uh, the hunter role. And, and then eventually, as I moved over to um, business.com and now Centerfield Media into a leadership uh, position.
1: Let's talk about that switch into leadership. What was sure. behind that for you, the, the core motivation to seek a leadership role?
2: Yeah, I think that's, it's a lot of that's innate. Um, I think, again, having, you know, coached uh, baseball and basketball, there's a level of um, similarity that comes with both that profession and and being, you know, doing something as a hobby uh, in your spare time and Um, just you know getting the satisfaction I I wasn't a great athlete I I played on my high school teams but I certainly by no means was the best player Um, but I I felt a lot more um, pride and a lot more enjoyment came out of the coaching aspect and leading others to be successful and kind of passing on some of the the knowledge that I had uh, learned and and retained um, and helping you know our, our teams be able to gel together or helping individuals develop their skills and so uh, on the work side um, on the professional side that's sort of just translated and I had in my mind for a while that that leadership was something I eventually aspired to Um, and you know the transition was not really something I asked for but something more so that that maybe I was recognized for um, and an opportunity that I I took on wholeheartedly but I, I think you know, in the back of my mind, um, whether it be in sales or, or anything else, I always aspire to to have some level of uh, or position of leadership.
1: What was the best part about that transition for you shifting from salesperson to sales leader?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the obvious uh, comp bump and, and all that is, is is great, right? And, you know, we all want to be able to provide and, and, and do the things that we'd like to do um, outside of work. But, um, really, it, it was the ability to gain more access to the decisions and, and the insight that was going into um, what made the business. So working with um, leaders across functions to not just meet with them on, on getting the operational work done or, or the, the day-to-day stuff, but really driving strategy um, and understanding you know the key decisions that, that can be made that are six, seven-figure decisions that you know, take a lot of teamwork and and collaboration to be able to um, to come to consensus. And those are had previously been above my pay grade. I sort of you know took direction and and went out and sold my book and and did what I needed to do. but to be at, able to actually drive that strategy and and to be in those conversations, I think was um, probably the highlight of that that initial transition.
1: What was the hardest part of making that shift?
2: Yeah, I think it's always challenging when you get into leadership, especially for me, because I, um, being the first time, you know, I'm coming from essentially a group of peers into an elevated role. And so, you know, on a peer level, right, you have your other sales reps that you're working with, and then now all of a sudden the dynamic has changed. Um, So, you know, interpersonally, I think there's some adjustments to be made there. Um, But I think probably the thing that stands out is the uh, and I'm sure this is referenced a ton, but because sort of that loss of control, right? Where you're responsible now for, for an overall team number or, or a bigger number even, um, that you don't necessarily have as much say over. Uh, you do in driving the strategy for, for sure, but it still needs to be delivered um, on, those, uh, on those sales calls. And so it took a little while for me to you know, understand that I don't need to be involved in every conversation Um, I can delegate, I can um, relax a little bit without having to stress over for each, you know, individual account and uh, and making sure that things were going the way that that I had hoped that they would go because, you know, in aggregate, if we're doing the right things as a team and and we're driving the right strategy, then uh, those things should be able to take care of themselves.
1: You mentioned about not, you know, figuring out you you didn't have to get that involved. That's a a common theme, um, when I talk about this with sales leaders, um, was that something you figured out fairly easily or did you have to learn it the hard way?
2: Yeah, I would say somewhere in between. Um, I, first of all, I had a lot of faith in, um, in working with the people who are now on my team. I I knew their, uh, level of experience. I knew their aptitude and, and what they were able to do on the phone and, and through, um, you know, client conversations and prospect conversations. So that wasn't an issue for me at all. Um, more so is on the issue of, are we selling the right thing? Are we talking to the right person? Um, are we doing the things to set up those conversations to be- give us the best chance for success? And I think it was a little bit of trial and error, right? I, I, of course, wanted to be involved in the conversations with a lot of the relationships that I had helped to grow or build. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our, our team, um has been and and was at the time full of awesome sales reps in their own right, and uh, they were more than capable of of taking that on. So I learned that pretty quickly. Um, You know, there's probably uh, the feeling, I'm sure, from from some of the team members that maybe I was a little bit over-involved, but, you know, I I needed to find that balance for myself, and I don't think that there's necessarily the perfect playbook for, for doing that without a little bit of trial and error.
1: You know, and you have to find that middle spot like you said that balance and the only way you find that is to go one way or the other too far and then you realize who i need to you know back off or i need to engage more one or the other
2: and, yeah and there's definitely key times too i mean just thinking about certain prospects who are at maybe a vp level or they're they're at an executive level that um they may only want to speak to somebody who's up here right and i'm not one for titles at all but but sometimes um it does help where you know one of our reps would have had trouble uh getting through to um uh, you know a, a client contact or a, a prospect contact at a certain company and all it took was hey i'm bringing on our vp and you know all of a sudden that, that helps with the conversation to, or yeah. to win the conversation so um instances like that where it, it may make sense to to become more involved um yeah. certainly comfortable with that but as far as majority of the, uh, the relationships go and, uh, and the conversations go, you know, it's really something that I can um, take myself out of and, and provide the guidance and, you know, and the, the strategy where needed.
1: How do you leverage the losses as a learning opportunity?
2: Yeah, losses are always tough. I think being sort of from that analytical background, um, one of the things that helps keep perspective is understanding that, really a numbers game Uh, if you understand you know your your close rates uh, and your average order sizes and and those those metrics uh, that that build your business and get you to where your goals need to be you know that individual conversation that falls through or something that you had as 90 percent confidence that doesn't get inked um, it's always going to be disappointing but in the grand scheme of things if you can keep that as just being a one statistic as an overall part of the model um, and think of it almost as as that, as a as a faceless number, um, it becomes a lot easier of a pill to swallow. Uh, the other thing that I think was a little bit challenging too, you know, going back even to the beginning of my sales career and dealing with rejection was, was taking things personally. Um, and for any new rep out there, for any rep who still struggles with that that's been doing it for a long time it's absolutely not personal Um, those decisions are made on a ton of different levels whether it be um, because you don't have the right product or it's just not the right fit you may not be speaking to the person who has the budget for which you're you know you're really targeting Um, so it's not you It's, it's just not a fit and that's okay and you know, for every two or three that aren't a fit, maybe there's two or three that are. And so um, being able to bounce back quickly and, and not take it to heart is certainly a skill that uh, comes with time, but it is very, I think important in my mind.
1: Now, for those of you listening, you can't see what's on the wall behind Greg, but <laughs> I want to dive into this. He's got some pretty interesting uh, items up on his wall. Can you talk about, I'll spill the beans here. He's got some flags, some pretty famous golf courses up on his wall. Do you leverage golf as part of your sales process?
2: Not as much now um, with the pandemic, of course, that that's waned. But even before that, uh, because at Centerfield and, and previous at, at business.com, we had so many clients um, and we were you know, spread so thin that yeah. in person Visits and get-togethers weren't uh, as common in the past with Monster. Absolutely, something that we leveraged a lot at either shows or, or just you know going directly to clients uh, and playing golf or having dinner. So uh, I'm a five handicap, which is solid. There's there's far that's pretty solid. There. Yeah, yeah, there's far better out there, but the flags behind me, Pinehurst, um, Innisbrook. Uh, I think I have. Uh, Beth page black there and, yeah. uh, and bay hill which i went to last year uh, i try to get a flag from every uh, golf course that hosts a regular pga tournament or or a major so i'm trying to grow my collection as much as i can adding uh, a flag or two each year but yeah. hopefully we'll be able to fill this entire room up when it's all said and done
1: do you have a crazy story from when you're out with a client on a golf course
2: uh nothing too crazy i mean it runs the gamut you'll, you'll play golf with uh clients and, and prospects that are much better than you and then you'll play golf with people who have no business being on a golf course <laughs> or, or maybe not even a driving range for that matter yeah um where you kind of have to grin and bear it right through right. there's no playing through uh there's no you know leaving after nine holes because i don't feel great uh it's five hours of, of torture, but you're doing yeah. that to, to build the relationship, right? So yep. nothing stands out. I don't think anybody fell in a lake or a pond. Or, <laughs> um, Nobody
1: you know, threw their, their golf clubs into the pond. Yeah.
2: Nothing, n- nothing too bad, but um, I, I love it as a tool. I think you know the more you can create that, that one-on-one interaction yeah. uh, all, you know, outside of the office, outside of PowerPoint, outside of Zoom, um, I'm always an advocate for that. I think it's been a great tool for me um, to help attract and win business in the past. And yeah. I played a little bit in in high school and college, and uh, so you know I didn't have to to learn as part of being the the, the uh, sales you know person. Yeah. Um, it, it just was something that I already had in the tool belt. So yeah, anytime I'm traveling, you know, if I, I can, I'll try to stay an extra day and play a uh, famous course if it's available. But absolutely love meeting people on the golf course.
1: You know, one of the things I love about that is you really get to see who they really are. Because when you start golf, you, there's no way you can fake it for four hours or, or more, especially if, you know, the game's not going that well. You know, you're really going to see who that person is.
2: For sure. and And you also don't, necessarily have to talk business um until afterwards and you're grabbing a drink or you could feel out the conversation and and maybe on the second hole they you know they they start asking you business questions it it really gives you uh, a length of time and a medium to be able to feel things out right and and to get to know the person that you're um that you're attempting to work with or that you're trying to grow with uh and you know if they they don't want to talk at all uh and want to keep it just Light and have fun, then it yeah. then it's simply just building rapport. And if it yep. you know does turn to business, you're ready to do that as well. Um, but it's just more relaxed. It's a yep. it's a great way to uh, sort of discuss those those topics over the course of you know five hours on a nice setting rather than being jammed up in a in a conference room and you know having to stick to the script.
1: Do you try to teach that kind of a cadence to your sales, your younger sales team? And you know, I know when you're first starting to sales, everyone wants to be very aggressive and, and close those deals, but that can shoot you the foot more often than not. And so how do you teach that level of patience and, and uh, rapport building and, and, you know, more of a natural flow to sales?
2: Yeah, I, I think rather than doing it explicitly, probably a little bit more by example um, when we're on calls together, you know, the, LinkedIn is a great tool, um, whether I can find a commonality with the college or the area that somebody's from or uh, where they've worked before. I, I always want to start there. If I have to give up 10 minutes of a 30-minute meeting to put a face to the name and really dive into who they are, then, then I'm always willing to make that sacrifice. Uh, a, for me, selfishly, it just yeah. makes that person easier to remember and yeah. you know help with the, the mental Rolodex. Um, but B, you know, hopefully it makes me stand out. As a person who um, who they can remember and who that they, they built some level of rapport with that they can trust and um, want to speak to again. But I would say, you know, as far as uh, teaching that or um, or mandating that, it's it's more of kind of here's my style, and if you like it and it feels natural to you, then then it's something to adopt. But uh, regardless, I think feeling people out and understanding um, how they tick is the psychology uh, is is really important. So. It starts as simple as what is their title right so if you have you know the associate marketing manager um, they're going to be an influencer they're going to be rolling it up to somebody else so make sure that the collateral that you leave behind is easily digest digestible for their boss or their boss's boss yeah. for this is a c-level person that might not have a lot of time um, yeah. you know you want to get right right to the uh the conversation usually you know within for me two, three minutes if a person is open to kind of chatting and yeah. um, and just building that rapport if they want to get right down to it. And I think being able to match that style as sort of a chameleon uh, is really important. So if somebody's direct yeah. and within 30 seconds they're asking about pricing, you know, I'm going to be direct in my responses. Yeah. Um, but vice versa, if, if somebody uh, is, you know, uh, open to talking a little bit more or, or opening up about themselves or, or their, their past experiences or, you know, a common coworker worker that, that we may have had, um, I'm all for that as well.
1: Yeah. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it?
2: <laughs> Love-hate relationship.
1: Um, <laughs> Number one answer.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love-hate relationship. I think I think CRM is is necessary, right? Of course, there's got to be a central place where for all that information to live. I think my perspective is a bit unique in that um, our company has been rebranded or acquired uh, about three or four times since I started. And so our CRM has been a melting pot of several different um, groups or lists of, of clients and prospects and contacts. Uh, so there's been a lot of you know, duplication and um, and cleanup work that that has to have been done there uh, over time, which you know, I think we're in a great place now. But yeah, I mean, I I think it is what you make of it. So if you're diligent about call notes, which admittedly uh, I'm not, you know, I, I need to get better at that for myself and and something that I impress upon with my team too. Um, but the tools are there i mean i think you know from a reporting standpoint understanding pipeline um, understanding the key metrics behind close rates and uh, average sales cycle if if you put in the data it'll it'll give you back the data as information that, that you can really use as a um, as a key tool to guide your process decision making and and so as much as i you know sometimes struggle or will curse out the the, the crm for you know little um, little things or, or, or bugs or, um, or logic that's built in that, you know, I may not have all the answers to, um, it's certainly a tool that I lean on a ton to be able to keep everything organized and and to drive, um, the sales process forward.
1: Other than, you know, the issue you mentioned about the data, um, and, and the, you know, mainly driven through the acquisitions, um, what's the biggest struggle, that you've experienced with CRM over your career?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think we have a lot of custom solutions uh, at Centerfield. So when we were at business.com operating just on the B2B side, um, we had sales qualified leads, marketing qualified leads, and click traffic that we could sell. And so everything that we did fell under one of those buckets. And at Centerfield, where we're able to basically support marketing and customer acquisition from A to Z, where we have a sales center that actually sells both B2C and B2B um, services, there are a lot more custom types of projects and solutions that we can offer to the market. And so sometimes when you have that level of customization, they don't, those programs don't necessarily fit into the predefined uh, selects or options that that a CRM has. And so inputting, it can be a challenge for one. I'm not really sure maybe necessarily if this is going to be a lead opportunity or a full fall opportunity or sponsorship. Um, but on the backside of that is pulling reporting and understanding um, where is my pipeline and what product is it aligned to. Sometimes that's that's not always uh, as clean as, as maybe it would be in the past. So it, it really, um, it takes patience for sure and collaboration. We have one of the best Salesforce administrators uh, I've ever worked with, easily the best, uh, and and just floating ideas out there. What if we, you know, change this field? Or what if we added uh, this logic uh, to be able to help make those those headaches, uh, you know, go away as much as possible? But. I, I don't think any, any business has a perfect process for how they utilize uh, their CRM. I think it's, a, it, it's an evolving um, discussion as products get developed, as targets change, as, um, you know, M&As happen. So it, I'm happy. Uh, there's <laughs> days when, and there's moments where, I'm, you know, uh, I'm not uh, thrilled with what's going on, but certainly it's a uh, necessary evil
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, We're coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Greg. If people want to reach out, connect with you, they want to learn more about center field media, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Sure. I would say uh, either email um, GKoonley, C-O-O-N-L-E-Y at business.com or just on LinkedIn. Uh, Send me a LinkedIn message. Be happy to to respond, reach out and, and set up some time to Uh, have a conversation. But um, yeah, I would say email or LinkedIn would be great. Awesome. Well,
1: thanks
0: again for coming on Sales Lead Dog.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks, Christopher.
0: As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business guaranteed.